Probably nearly every parent in here can remember a time when you just totally lost it. I mean, you just, the moment just was right and the offense was just so in your face that you just lost all sense of control. And some of you are laughing, maybe that was last night, right? And so uh, we, we've all been there, we've all done that. And, and I love the question, I guess, you know, we weren't trained to say this uh, by our parents, but we probably picked it up from our parents. Why do we always ask the question in those moments, what were you thinking, right? I mean, no matter what the age of the kid is, we often turn to that question, what were you thinking at this moment, right? Uh, I, that moment for me with my dad, uh, I had quite a few, but the one that I recall the earliest on was a true story. And th you know how these things get told by your parents, and so I don't know how much of this is my memory versus how much is uh, my parents telling me what happened, but we, we lived way out in the country. I mean, if you live in the country, I mean, up in the hills of West Virginia, up to I was five years old, we lived out, I mean, way, way out. And uh, we had this a garage that was, uh, it was a dirt floor. It was more like a shed that we parked our car in. And my brother and I were playing out there, and so I had to be five or less uh, when this happened. And I don't know what we were thinking, but I thought it would be interesting to see what would happen if we put dirt in the gas can, I mean the gas, gas tank of the car. And so we unscrewed the cap and we began to shovel dirt down into the gas tank. And when my dad saw that, obviously, you know, that was a big deal. And I have no idea how he got that out of the gas tank. But he went ballistic on us. And as a kid, you know, I'm sure he yelled out, what were you thinking? We've all been there. And, we, and I'm thankful that those kind of big moments don't define us. They don't define us as a kid. I'm not, that's not defining of who I am. And as a parent, those moments don't define us. As a parent, we know that really what defines our children and really defines us as parents is it's those thousand little moments that happen throughout the day, throughout the life. And sometimes we remember the big things and the little things just get forgotten, but really character development happens in the thousand little moments of every day. It's the moments when we as parents have the opportunity to develop Christ-like character in our children just in the mundane, normal experiences of life. And I love that how Paul speaks to Timothy's background and his training through his mother and his grandmother back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And we talked about this passage many weeks ago, but I want to go back and set the stage for today's text by reading this verse first. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
And so Paul calls attention to Timothy's mother and his grandmother and the internal impact they had on his faith through this, the day-by-day teaching of Timothy. And so I'm reminded of the sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, now it's in your mother. So we're going to look at chapter 3, but let's pray and we'll jump into chapter 3 and we'll go back to verse 14 and 15 and then pick up 16 and 17 also today. Father God, this is your word and this is the main avenue that you speak to us, God, while we know that oftentimes we can put more stock in our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances, our experiences. God, the truth of the matter is your word is the way that you speak to us. And God, we admit that many times we default to a lot of other things other than your word that's revealed in Scripture. And God, I pray that today we will just have a stronger confidence in you and your word through this text today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me kind of walk you through how we get got here. We've been talking about 2 Timothy for a while now. Colin was telling me every time we come in, he comes in town, we're still in the same book when he left to go off to college. And so uh, here we are still in 2 Timothy, but there's so much good stuff that's here. And so Paul has been describing the apostasy, this turning from the truth that will happen in the last days. In the last days, there's going to be a turning away from the truth. And so Paul, up to this point, he's exposed the tactics of the false teachers. Here's how they work, Timothy. Here's the nature of their teaching. And he's warned Timothy, who's the pastor of this church of Ephesus, be on your guard, buddy. Be on your guard. Be ready because this is going to happen and it's going to get worse and worse as time goes along. And on top of that, we talked about this, that not only are there going to be false teachers, there's going to be imposters. There's going to be fake Christians within the church. People who have this form of godliness, they look Christian, they say the right things, but he says in the end, their behavior will expose who they really are. They'll show themselves to be who they truly are by their lack of holiness. We talked about that, their lack of holiness in their life. And so you watch someone's life, eventually you'll see what their heart really says and what their heart is really about. And so now Timothy is, Paul deals with Timothy and talks to him about how to defeat the false teachers, how to defeat the false teaching. Here's how you go about it. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's read verse 14, because he shows Timothy that our primary defense against error and against lies is God's word. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. So Timothy is to continue in what he had learned and what he had been convinced of. And he says, knowing from whom you've learned it. Now, clearly Paul is talking about himself because Paul had a huge impact on Timothy's life. But he's also definitely pointing back to his grandmother and his mother and his godly heritage, the two most influential people in his life, Lois and Eunice, his mother. And so a little bit about Timothy. Timothy was born to a Greek father and a Jewish mother. A Greek father and a Jewish mother. From Timothy's childhood, he had been taught the Old Testament scriptures by his mother and by his grandmother. And so Timothy's mother brought him up at least as much as she could as a Jew. But we know from Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's father, he wasn't a Jew, of course, and he wasn't a believer in Jesus as well. And Jewish people, even to this day, they identify based upon their mother. If their mother is Jewish 
and their father is non-Jewish, they're still considered a Jew. But apparently, Timothy's father wasn't supportive of Judaism either because Timothy, we learn in Acts 16, he wasn't circumcised. And so therefore, his father clearly prohibited that from happening. And so you have this dysfunctional family, so to speak, and you have a mother and grandmother who are working to try to overcome the situation. Now, interestingly enough, we can think about why would a woman like Eunice, who was raised by her mom, Lois, why would she marry this guy who was pagan? Well, that's a great question, but it's one that we don't know the answer to. But as we know from our own personal experiences in life, even if you're walking with God today, probably in your past you made some pretty big bad decisions, right? And just like your kids and parents were not defined by necessarily those moments, even though these things put us on a trajectory of life that we can't undo the consequences, nevertheless, God's grace is more than sufficient and enough to help us and to guide us in these moments. And so we find great inspiration from Eunice and from Lois because here they are in a situation that's very difficult, yet they're doing the best they can to raise Timothy and did a pretty good job, right? And so maybe Eunice had a period of time where she rebelled. Maybe who knows what exactly happened, but they're providing the spiritual leadership in the home, which sadly is the case for so many Christian homes that the leadership spiritually falls upon the mother because a lot of times the father won't step up to their role to do this. You know, guys, well, I'm not touchy-feely. You know, I'm just awkward talking about that. Well, the Bible doesn't give you an out. In fact, it calls you to a high standard. It calls you to be the spiritual leader of the home. But we're grateful for women and moms and wives who have filled the gap when husbands have failed to fulfill their responsibility in this matter. So this is encouragement for women on Mother's Day that you have a huge, huge opportunity regardless of what your husband is doing in this process or even if you're married or not married or your husband's not even around or you're divorced. You still have a great opportunity to impact and make a difference for the kingdom. And so he says that Timothy, and back in verse 5 of chapter 1, he had this sincere faith and his mother and his grandmother had this sincere faith. And that's a word that we talked about a little bit a few weeks ago, but just to remind you, the word sincere has to do with being genuine. It's authentic. It's without hypocrisy. It's undisguised. So it's not this shallow or fake sincerity or this fake faith, but it's something that's real. It's not just something that's polished off and put on display on Sunday for other Christians to see, and then it's back to real life. No, this was something that was visible to Timothy and visible to those around them. Because why is this so important? Because kids don't follow hypocritical faith. Kids don't follow hypocritical faith. And this isn't about perfection because we know that we're nowhere near perfect. And we fail so much. But I love this quote that I came across, and I don't even know who, who said this. He said, or she said, I don't need to look good so that Jesus can look good. I need to be honest about my colossal spiritual need so that he looks all sufficient. I don't need to look good so Jesus can look good. I need to be honest about my colossal spiritual need so he can look all sufficient. That's as parents, mothers and fathers, that's what God calls us to. It's not a 
fake, shallow, pretend spirituality. It's an honest, humble approach because when we understand the gospel, it breaks us to our, brings us to our knees. It, it helps us to realize that I still need Jesus. And yes, this child that I'm bringing up in this home or this teenager that I'm dealing with or this adult child that I have, yes, they need Jesus. But they need to see a parent who's real and genuine. And that's not by pretending, but that's by being willing to talk to them on a real and honest level because they see through it anyway, right? And so Lois and Eunice, they authenticated the words of Scripture by their lifestyle. One study that I read this past week said that when both parents are faithful and active in their service to God and involved in the church, 93% of their children remain faithful. 93%. When both parents are involved, 93%. And then here's some encouragement for single moms and dads out there. When only one parent stays faithful, 73% of their children remain faithful. 73%. It drops, but it's not a huge fall off. And so that's encouragement because we say this a lot here at Grace, but it's so true and you need to be reminded, the number one influencer in a child's life is not the culture, it's not TV, it's not social media, it's not YouTube. The number one influencer in a child's life for Christ, and for any reason really, is you, the parent. And so we have a responsibility, as Lois and Eunice did, to speak into the life of our children and be influential and be the main influencer. And look at verse 15. Paul writes and he says to Timothy, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We looked at this verse last week, but I did not point out this, that the, the, the word childhood, literally, if you're reading some versions, it says the word from infancy, from infancy. And it's interesting that the Jewish customs and the Jewish tradition felt like a child was never too young to begin reading Scripture, I mean, hearing Scripture read, being impressed with the words of Scripture, being given the words of Scripture. So the, the, the point Paul's making here is, I mean, from a little, little, little infant, he began to hear the Word taught, and he began to hear the Scriptures taught, and they began to read to him. And I know some of you parents are, are, are really good at doing that. And I encourage you to start young. I mean, start immediately if you're new to the parenting thing. And so they understood the capacity that children had, even at, as an infant. In fact, the first thing that a Jewish child was taught to say when they were old enough to speak was, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. From Deuteronomy, they were taught, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So the Jewish households, they begin talking immediately to their kids, but, but around the age of five, they begin a formal education, and the primary education for the younger kids was reading the law of preparation for that, and then as they got older, the higher education was reading, memorizing, and studying it, committing to it. And in fact, one of the contemporaries of Jesus, a guy named Philo of Alexandria, here's what he said about the Jewish households. He said, since Jews esteem their law as divine revelations, and are instructed in the knowledge of them from their earliest youth, they bear the image of the law in their souls. So that's just a fancy way of saying that the Jews were seriously committed to instilling truth into their children. They were serious about that. 
and they worked and they labored at it. And people like Lois and Eunice were so committed to teaching their children. And why were they? I'm going to ask you the question. Why were they so committed to this process? Verse 16. Here's why. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Paul makes an incredibly important statement about Scripture there, about the Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God. John Calvin said this. He said, we cannot rely on the doctrine of Scripture until we're absolutely convinced that God is its author. You see, that changes everything, right? When you truly believe that God is the author of this book, you approach it a lot differently. Instead of this being supplemental to the other things that you do, this becomes primary to everything that you do. And the Jewish people understood this. This was their textbook. This was their life. This is what they breathed into children. And how different our culture and society is today, even our Christian culture. And so Paul says all Scripture. In this case, he's specifically referring to the Old Testament. But we can say the same thing is true about the New Testament. In fact, we won't look at the Scripture, but you can look it up later if you'd like. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, where Peter alludes to Paul's writing and refers to it as Scripture. He calls Paul's writing Scripture. So all Scripture is breathed out by God. And this idea of breathed out by God, or maybe your version says inspired by God, it describes a ship with its sails, and the wind is taking the sails and moving the ship along. And that's the picture here that Paul wants to paint, is that every Scripture is a product of the Spirit's work, the Spirit's blowing, the Spirit's moving. And so even though the writers of Scripture could put their personalities and their way of thinking into uh, the, the scriptures as far as the way they use language and so on. Scripture makes it clear that these men were moved along by God, by the Holy Spirit. And every word of that was by God's doing, inspired by him. And so if you understand the seriousness of this book, if you believe, if you have faith to understand that this is truly breathed out by God, then all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense how we use this book in our lives. We don't dust it off on Sunday so we can bring it to church. We use it in every avenue of child rearing, everything about life. And so in 15, if we go back to verse 15, I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Just look in your Bible if you're following along. He says, the sacred writings were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, the sacred writings that Timothy was studying, that his mother and grandmother were giving him, they could make him wise to salvation. And so this was not just a, a, just gathering more truth or having more knowledge so he could be a smarter intellectual theologian, but it was about what all of Scripture points to, which is Jesus Christ. And so even though Jesus isn't specifically mentioned by name in the Old Testament, Paul makes it clear that there is plenty of revelation to point to people to there is a Messiah that's coming, and he will be a suffering servant, and then God sends Paul along to Timothy and probably to Lois and Eunice as well and begins to show them in Scripture through the Old Testament words how that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the long-awaited King of Israel who's come to redeem them, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so they learn Scripture, and God provides the revelation that they need 
through Paul and through the New Testament to enlighten them, to help them see who Jesus was. And so think about the environment of your home for a second. Make this real personal to you. Are you after just simply obedient children, or are you after children who love Jesus and want to grow in knowledge and truth? Are, are we mainly looking for just, if they obey, keep their nose clean, stay out of trouble, then I'm pretty happy, right? I mean, I think that's the standard that most of us have. I mean, the, the bad thing is how immature usually we are when we begin having children, right? I mean, we're 25 to 30, somewhere in that range, and so our faith is still a process as well. And so we have this little child given to us, or if you're blessed, maybe two at a time, right? And, or three, and, and, and you get these kids, and all of a sudden there's no owner's manual that comes with those children from the hospital. But the truth is, God gives us what we need. And the Jewish people got that. They understood that here is what I need to begin teaching from the time they're born. Because we don't have the wisdom. Do we? I mean, I have no clue how to discipline or correct or guide a child. And of course, we use the community, the body of Christ, helps us along in a big way. And Scripture points us to that. And that's the beautiful thing about Scripture. It tells us you need ladies, you need the older ladies of the church to come alongside of you and help you because you don't just get it. And maybe your mom does a good job for that, but a lot of times they don't. And so you need an older lady, a lady who's more experienced, has been down this road to come alongside you and help you and guide you. Guys, we talk about Fight Club all the time. Being a parent, being a dad, being a husband is, a, is a, such a hard job. And we need one another. And God tells us that in Scripture. Iron sharpens iron. And so you read that, and you read these verses that talk about our need for community, and you react to that because the Scripture is telling you, that's what I need. And so we, we build into each other's lives. And we understand that this life is about worship. This life is about what our response to God for who He is and for what He's done. And so we teach our kids that life is about worship, and that what is in their heart ultimately is what they worship. What's in our heart guides our worship. It guides what we respond to. So if we love sports, it's going to guide our heart to worship sports, potentially. If we love leisure, then follow the trail of your heart, and it'll lead you to what you really care about, right? And show you your priorities. If you love money, and in your heart is money, follow your life throughout the week and see where your emphasis is. And so our heart guides our lives. And so we speak into the heart of our children, not just to the behavior of them. And then scripture is incorporated in everyday life through everything that we encounter, and we're able to speak into that. Do we always get that right? I absolutely do not. I didn't when I was younger, Dad. I don't when I now. But that is the goal that we should all see, that Scripture speaks to every situation. And we need to know Scripture so we can rightly apply it to those times. And then verse 16, he says, he adds to it, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And he says it's profitable. It's profitable. Profitable to what end? Look down to verse 17. He says that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So the scripture that's breathed out by God, it's not just to give you more intellect again, it's to make us complete, 
to make us a man of God who, or a woman of God, it transforms our lives in our ministry. It helps us to live our lives for God's glory, for his love, for, for to love him and love others. And so that's what scripture does. It's, it's profitable to that end. It provides us what we need to attain the goal which, God, which Paul points to in this, in this context, which is to be a man or woman of God. And I'm reminded as I read this of Romans 12, 2, which says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the word renewing our mind, and then we're able to live life on his terms. Then we can live life by the will of God. Then we can know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so I think a lot of times parents think, and I've seen this throughout my life, that if I can just isolate my kids from the world or get them away from worldliness, then I've accomplished my goal. I've, 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 I've done this. I've, I've, I've made it happen. But the truth is, you can, all you want, pull a kid out of, the, out of the world, but we know what happens, right? The worldliness stems from their hearts. It stems from inside of them. The monks had the same idea, Right? You take, you, get out of the world. Get away from temptation. I'll get in this monastery. But, you know, they took all the sin that was in the world into the monastery with them. And so they didn't get away from the sin. They just took it inside. And so we speak to the children's hearts. We see that transformation takes place by the renewing of their mind or their inner being. Because you can't, re, can't rely on yesterday's knowledge to deal with today's challenges and today's temptations and today's struggle. And so we teach Scripture verse by verse here at Grace because we need to know the whole counsel of God for every situation that happens. We need to be able to speak the word into that. We need to know the word, and we need to incorporate that into our life. And then look back at verse 16 again. He gives us a few specifics how this helps us. He says, it helps us with teaching. It, it, it got, let me go back and read the verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. And the most effective way to instruct our kids is to know the Word, memorize the Word, and be able to give the Word. And for those of us who are raised in church and were raised where Scripture memory was a priority, I mean, that's such a blessing to be able to, to recall Scriptures and to be able to say those. For some of you who came to Christ later on, it's definitely more of a challenge to know Scripture it, your mind just doesn't soak it in like it did when you were young. But it's also an encouragement for you to have your kids in programs like Awana that's so big on Scripture memory and to allow them to just fill their minds and their hearts with Scripture because it will. It, you'll, you will remember it years and years to come. I remember Scriptures, not word for word all the time, but I remember Scriptures I learned in the second and third grade that I can quote with no problem. So we build our lives on Scripture. We memorize Scripture. And we realize that Scripture needs to teach us or train us. And then it says, the next one, it says, for reproof. This is the idea of exposing sin. Because we are naturally blind to our own sin. How, how many times do we justify the things that we do? And we're so good at spotting it in everybody else. We see the sins and we go home and we talk to our spouse and we say, hey, can you believe what Jerry did? Right? And I do the same thing or worse. But we're good at spotting it in other people, but we don't see it ourselves. And when Scripture is a regular part of our life, when we're in Scripture, he says it's, it's, it's profitable for reproof. It's going to expose our sin. It's going to convict our sin. It's going to allow us to recognize our wrongdoing 
through the work of the Holy Spirit as he illuminates the scripture into our life. And then the idea of correction and training for righteousness. You know, if you're like me, parents, think about this situation, all right? Think about the last time that you had a teachable moment in your life, in your home. Think about it. Try to remember that. Let's be honest. That was probably something to do with discipline, right? Something happened. He, he disobeyed. She didn't do what she was supposed to do. It's like, okay, teachable moment. And a lot of times, you know, if it's really egregious, it's super bad, then we're like yelling at them scripture. You know what God says about that? How dare you do that? You know, what about that verse? What about Pastor John said? Or what about you, what you heard in Sunday school? And, and so we take it, and, and the only time that we're being instructive for righteousness is when we're doing discipline. Now, should we? Yes. But if that's the only time that we use it, it's going to cause great confusion to our children. In fact, I think it leads to rebellion a lot of times because the only time they associate the words and wisdom of Scripture is when they do something bad. And so it's going to be this idea of fear of punishment. I'm associating God and His Word with just punishment. And so I encourage you, parents, to be proactive. Correction and training for righteousness. It's not just, don't do that and here's what God says. It's being intentional. It's being offensive. It's, it's taking and going to them all the time. And that only happens as we learn. And you just have to stay one day ahead, right? One day ahead of your kids. Just learn the truth and then talk to them about God's teaching you. And so Paul points to Timothy's mother and his grandmother. And on this Mother's Day, for mothers and fathers, but single moms, be encouraged. Sincere faith. He says, the sincere faith that came from those who taught you. And so just kind of like in summary of this section, teaching, it keeps us from error. God's word keeps us from going off the rails and believing stuff that's harmful. Reproof, it keeps us from sin. Correction, it keeps us from failure. And training in righteousness, it keeps us from wasting our lives. If you just maybe jot down those four things, and maybe just remember as you're studying and reading the Word, that this is what the Word does for us. It keeps us from error. It keeps us from sin. It keeps us from failure. And it keeps us from wasting our lives. Yes, Timothy was discipled by the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? All right? What an amazing thing for Timothy. And sure, it had a, a huge impact. But the foundation was laid by Lois and Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. So let's talk about our head, heart, and hands, the application. The head, we need to know that God's word truly does transform our hearts. It changes our behavior from the inside out. Our behavior flows from the heart. So we need to know that God's word does change us if we're willing to be consistent and be in it and think about it and talk about it and pray over it, you will start to see change. And then our hearts, fill your cup so that you have something meaningful to give. Be in the word, filling, your, filling up on God, allowing his words just to soak over you and be in you. And then you have something to give to your children. And then hands, root all that you require, say, and do in the wonderful words and wisdom of Scripture. Root everything that we require, say, and do in the wonderful wisdom of Scripture. Some practical stuff there that we can take with it this Mother's Day. Let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you for your word, and God, we thank you that the book of Second Timothy has really caused us to slow down and have three weeks of just time of, of thinking about your word and you giving us what we need for this life, giving us everything we need for godliness. And God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will use the word to expose the, the truth in our, in our lives, God, that we're Many people aren't making it a priority as much as we talk about it. It's still an afterthought, something we try to squeeze in. And God, I pray that you'll allow us to create habits and routines in our lives where we put Scripture in our time with you as the main priority of our lives. And God, whether that looks like 10 minutes or an hour, help it to be meaningful and real and something that truly, truly gets inside of us and overflows into our, our, our spouse, to our kids, into our grandkids, and to everyone we come in contact with. We thank you in Jesus' name.